Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Football Fanalytics Podcast in association with 23. This is the show that combines our love of football and very average Sunday league playing experiences with our knowledge of football statistics and data analytics. It's episode 29 and we're back to throwing some stats at you this week. My name is Mark Carey and joining me as ever is Ryan Bailey. Ryan, how are we? I'm good, thank you, Mark. Yeah, it's been another two-week break, hasn't it? So uh, an awful lot has happened since we last spoke. Um, how have you been? Good, thank you. Yeah, I'm a bit Yeah, I'm a bit rusty in terms of our Fanalytics podcast recording. Um, but sorry, I've been I've been away, but I'm back. I'm back with back on home soil now, Ryan. Well, I didn't want to mention it, but this is the second time in the year that you've appeared on another podcast. Uh, for anyone who missed Mark Carey on Zonal Marking Podcast last week, you can go check that out. It was very, very good. I'm not going to go into it. I'm just not going to let it bother me. You know, this is like, you know, this is my, you know, I know what I'm doing here and it's fine. Uh, you know, we'll just, we'll just deal with it, Mark. The, the extra podcasting now, as you're starting to get more popular, was just going to keep coming, isn't it? But no, it was, again, really good to hear you on something else. Uh, it was a good job. Talking about goalkeepers, something that we haven't covered that much, have we? But it was good to hear about... Um, the sort of metrics and stuff you discussed on goalkeepers. Yeah, I think we, we touched upon it in in previous pods, but not a full episode on it. And yeah, by the way, I don't know about popular, um, but I'll, <laughs> I'll take the fact that I'm yeah, doing more. But in each time, like, I have promoted and spoken about our podcast. So it's not like I'm you just have, mate, going on and speaking about myself and all analytics stuff. I've made sure that I come back round to the... The bread and butter of the fanalytics pod. The spreading the good fanalytics name. <laughs> that's uh, that's all I can ask of you. No, but seriously, for anyone who wants to go catch Mark on uh, on the Zonal Market podcast, uh, give that a give that a search and uh, and have a listen. It's really good. Um, there is something that happened last week, Mark. I always think about. Um, what I'm going to bring up with you when we haven't spoken in two weeks about the footballing world and what's interesting to talk about. And I think the we always talk about games and we always talk about uh, incidents that might have happened on the pitch. But I think the the most entertaining thing that happened in the football world was actually off the pitch last week. Um, for listeners who didn't see this, I'm sure most people did. 
uh, Joe Hart's social media team uh, had an absolute worldie when Spurs <laughs> lost to they lost to uh, Zagreb three nil, and it appeared that Joe Hart's social media team weren't watching and just assumed that uh, that Spurs had won three nil against Zagreb because obviously you could argue that should have been uh, an easy game. Uh, <laughs> you can so just imagine Joe, that how the conversation went. By the way, yeah. to be like, hang on, you y- you lost. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we Joe. don't need to. Of course, they're going to win. We don't need to watch that game. Um, so Joe Hart's social media team posted on his Instagram, going "Job done, thumbs up, three nil." Um, oh, and the reaction was mad, wasn't it, Mark? It's very funny. It was funny. I mean, the fact that he had to come out and then do a little video after to say, "Sorry, guys, like it's a genuine mistake. I've, ju- I've just woken up." And then he like brushes his eyebrow to yeah. be like, "Oh, I'm so tired. <laughs> oh, I've, I've just woken up. I've yeah. just woken up and found out that yeah, it's just an honest mistake." And it's like. I think it was an honest mistake. I mean, it can't have been a genuine. Post. I don't know who it would have benefited for it to actually be a, uh, you know, an intentional mistake. But it's just, yeah, it's a shocker. It's a shocker. But... My favorite part was he was like, "Oh, I don't know how it happened." They, they, someone on my uh, social media team must not have been watching. It was a bit of a, you know, when Cammy was like, "I don't know, Jeff." It was like, it was like one of those. Yeah, I saw them score, I... Jeff, but I thought it was one of yeah. ours. I thought it was one of ours. Yeah. Anyway, that really made me laugh. And actually, it got me thinking, um, The you know, footballers and social media is quite a funny thing to look into. So I had a bit of a, I had a bit of a delve and I just thought I'd see if that was probably the worst one that has happened. Um, and you, do you remember earlier in the year, there was the Man United um, social media team. One of them, they started doing a, a, an Instagram live video. To, and I think there was at one point thirty-seven thousand people watching it, and it was just the, it was just the person who runs the social media channel had set it off in their pocket. So in the background, you could hear them like making a cup of tea, uh, and no. just wandering around the kitchen, and they were doing an Instagram live. So that was a pretty funny one. But anyway, I thought I, I wondered if you'd heard of any of these ones before. I had a quick look into it. So one that I enjoyed, uh, Ben Teke, when he originally moved to Crystal Palace, uh, put in his Twitter bio that he had accidentally moved to Burnley. So all the Crystal no. Palace fans, yeah, yes, yeah, so it said in his bio, Burnley FC and Belgium national team. Uh, it said that in the bio. And then he then tweeted afterwards saying, oops, my bad. Yes, signed for Crystal Palace and not Burnley. Sorry for the little mistake that the person manages my Twitter got a little confused. Again, I was like, so, so how did this happen? How, how did the social media team... He's, he's, he's gone somewhere. We'll, we'll just write Burnley, yeah. it'll be fine. Well, it, well the, I'm interested in that though, because is it that they basically think that there's a team who plays in kind of claret, purpley. Maybe. Okay, I've got it confused. Let's just Google which one it is. And I think it's, okay, I think it's that Burnley team. Or is it that he was rumoured with Burnley? They were maybe in for him and they've actually got a little bit mixed up as to which one's actually gone through. Potentially. I mean, you know, we can look for reasoning to maybe sort of justify yeah, yeah. Uh, just social media team. You would think that if you ran a footballer's social media you you had a slight inkling about football teams and I, you know Mark you work with uh, stats and data in your day to day every day you, surely you surely there's a process where you check your facts and you check your stats uh, before sending them out I would hope um, am I right to say that well, uh, yeah if nothing else you send it to other people to to make sure that it's it's right it's correct a bit of quality assurance is the oh okay the, i like the it thing to, to check but yeah i mean yeah these people who work for them must just like be on their phone thinking this is a doddle i just get to run <laughs> i just get to get paid to basically be on my phone 
It's like, yeah, yeah, but it can go wrong very quickly. Well, I really enjoyed another one. Uh, this one was from actual Everton's actual football club, um, the official account. Everton's actual um, football club. Everton's actual football club. They have an actual football club. Um, it was uh, back in 2016 and they tweeted, best day out with the best sis in world, two hands up. And I think they must have tweeted it off. They must have been trying to tweet off their personal no. social media account. And they sent it from the official club account. Oh, no. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Um, that one really made me laugh and then a couple more the, the other one that made me laugh was um, Victor Anichibi I don't know how the process works I'm, I'm all of a sudden fascinated by this process of social media team and footballer you know where the relationship lies do you think all footballers have someone who posts for them I don't know but Victor Anichibi sent a tweet out again in 2016 and the tweet read can you tweet something like dot 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 Unbelievable support yesterday and great effort by the lads. Hard result to take, but we go again. <laughs> so he essentially, oh no, he after a loss, I can't remember who the lost it. He just copied and pasted the message from his social media team and posted it out. No. Brilliant. I just think it's so funny. It just kind of shows a little bit kind of behind the curtain, though, that that's how it works. That they yeah, just exactly. must, like, they, they, text each other and then be like, right, you can sort the rest out, but you know, I'm in the middle of dinner or something. Yeah, well, I listened to the Peter Crouch podcast for the last few series, and there was an episode ages ago that was about the um, the things that footballers have people do for them. So when they used to go on tour, they'd have like yeah. people pack their underwear for them and all that sort of stuff. But but to the point where they're not even typing their own messages on on their phone. Yeah. They're just they're just allowing someone else. The final one which really made me laugh was um, Blaze Matweedy. He posted a birthday message to his wife. Um, and you know how, you know, you see it all the time. People take a nice fo- uh, photo or, or screenshot or something of their of them and their partner. And they tweet, happy birthday, best wife ever, etc. He'd Googled his wife and he, he typed in <laughs> Matweedy wife in Google. Then he took a screenshot. No. And then rather than crop it on the phone, rather than crop it on the phone, he then just tweeted out the <laughs> screenshot. <laughs> So it's him and his wife. And then above it said, Matweedy Femme. And then it was so funny. How would you... Why would you do that? That you'd sooner go to Google than your own... Why would you not check? Photos. Well, yeah, that's the funny... I guess that's the funny part as well. He didn't use one of his beloved photos he had on his phone with his wife. He just Googled his wife. I don't know how these people manage it. I mean... Anyway. They're they're all hilarious. I think, as you were saying about it, how easily it can go wrong... I suppose we've spoken about it before, but a shout out to Marcus Rashford because he is someone who's absolutely profited right. and used social media correctly. So it just shows that, yeah, it clearly Rashford must work with the social media team as well, but they are the shining light of what should be done. Should be done. But, well, yeah. in summary, um, I think that Joe Hart's <laughs> social media team have got off the hook here. They are not the first people ever to make an absolute blunder. So... Uh... So yeah, we move on. We move on. We move on. Yeah, that Matuidi one got me. I, I genuinely didn't know that one before. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, yeah, the rest of this episode is not going to be quite as funny as that. But should we? Uh, should we give it we a go? Just anyway? look at more of those. Let's not talk about. Yeah, let's. let's yeah, a whole episode on that could be good. I mean, if anyone else has any others uh, that they know of, then please, by all means, send them in. You know where to find us. But uh, let's uh, let's delve into some stats, Ryan. How about that for the rest of this episode? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So we're back to our roots in terms of what we're going to be speaking about today. After a bit of a different one last time, you know, we we had a really good debate and it got a good response, I think, Ryan, didn't it? From from so many people on, on social media and a lot of people have got in contact with us over that debate about, you know, the use of analytics in football more more broadly, more widely. Um, and we did really enjoy going through a lot of the, the comments and the, the emails that we've had. Um, but there was one sort of jovial one that caught your eye in particular, Ryan. 
yeah, there was an absolutely great email that we received this week. Uh, if those who listened to last episode will remember, we made a Kings of Leon and stats analogy um, regarding the song Sex on Fire. Well, we got a message saying, after this week's episode, I think we're due for an episode titled Your Stats Are On Fire, which immediately, Mark, I was like, yes, we are. Yes, we are. We need to go back to stats. We've we've deprived you of not saying the words underlying numbers for too long now. So thank you to Ryan the Owl who suggested the episode title, Your Stats Are On Fire. We love that. And that's exactly what we're going to take a look at. Do you know what? It's funny as well. I don't know if it was just in the back of my mind because I knew that we were going to record today. But I listened to Kings of... The only thing I've listened to today is Kings of Leon's new album. Having, oh, really? Having not listened to it. And I mean, this is for another time, probably not when we were recording. For our side music podcast project that we're yeah, doing. Yeah. yeah, maybe for that one, yeah. Oh, I can already think of an idea for that one. But um, <laughs> I must have had it in the back of my mind that I was going to do something. Kings of Leon must have just been on my mind because I knew that we were going to record Your Stats Are On Fire. So uh, Yeah, we could sing it if you like, but maybe we'll save the listeners' ears on that one. But, yeah, um, maybe that'll make the edit floor. We could try. Yeah, yeah. Let's just pretend that we did and then we've come back to it. Well, so what we did off the back of Ryan's email, we thought it'd be great to have a statistical approach to this uh, episode. So what I think would be fun, Mark, is if we take a look at some people within the Premier League whose stats have been on fire or uh, something to the like this this Premier League season so far. We obviously could pick out players from the several leagues around the world, but you know we're, we're going to keep it we're going to keep it Premier League based. So, Mark, how, who are we going to look at? What we're going to do? Well, see, we could look at it, I guess, across the whole season of whose stats have been on fire across the whole season. But I thought it might just be good to look at, and I'm caveating already with small sample size, but look at whose stats are looking really strong and whose stats are on fire since January. So since the turn of the year, who's sort of hitting some some good form? And we can look at it, yeah, whose stats currently are. And in light of a lot of recent uh, news, we're going to speak about the, the England international call-ups yes. to maybe see whether someone's stats are on fire in light of uh, of recent news. So I guess we've got a handful of players who we could uh, go through uh, and discuss. Um, do you have any to, to throw at me? Uh, and then we can maybe look into some. Well, I guess we've got to also think we're talking about people who are on fire here you know fires get put out there are people who started the season fantastically not no longer potentially on fire so I'm quite happy with the since January till this moment uh, sample size personally so shall I chuck some names at you of people who are on fire and then we can uh, we can sort of delve into them yeah I, I've sort of anticipated who you might say so uh, let's good. give it a go uh, and see what we come up with well in recent weeks I think a good place to start is uh the last month's Premier League Player of the Month, uh, that award went to Ilkay Gundogan. Um, can we have a look to see if he is on fire? I mean, his goal-scoring stats are certainly on fire, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, he scored in the FA Cup uh, at the weekend as well. Um, scored in the Champions League as well. Um, so he's scoring in all competitions, not just the Premier League. But um, I think he's got, since the turn of the year, I think he's had 10 goals in total. Two of which I think are penalties. But he's still just... he's doing so well in terms of just ghosting into the box isn't he just picking mm. up space where no one's really picking him up but uh yeah his, his stats are certainly on fire from from a goal scoring perspective he's uh he scored 10 those 10 goals but he has played quite a lot of minutes in that time as well compared to others so on a per 90 basis he's the mm-hmm. fourth highest scorer um again we're talking small numbers but um 10 premier league goals since january for a midfielder as well i think he's the top 
scorer for for Man City as well this season is uh, is no mean feat. So he is he's absolutely enjoying a purple patch, isn't he? I guess I have a couple of questions on Gundogan because you know there might be some of us who are not as familiar with his past at Dortmund and stuff. I think I remember reading he was more of an attacking midfielder at Dortmund. I might be wrong, but it obviously took him a little while to adapt in the Premier League, didn't it? And and he hasn't been known in the last couple of seasons. I might be wrong. Forgive me if I am wrong. I I haven't always thought of Gundogan as a prolific goal-scoring midfielder. So this is something that's really happened in the last six months or so, hasn't it? That he's really come to the fore. Is that something to do with Man City's lack of striker? They've obviously been playing you know that sort of false nine role haven't they more and more not all the time obviously because Gabriel Jesus obviously plays but Gundogan has been sometimes the furthest forward player hasn't he and, and I just wonder is is that why we're seeing more of that or is it just a, a confidence and a development thing what what is it yeah I mean it's, it's going to be interesting to see over a longer period as to whether he's actually going to continue that sort of form I suppose um there might be something to be said well, there's certainly something to be said exactly as you say with the the fact that they haven't always had a nominal striker who is there to, you know, be the one to score like you, Gabriel Jesus mm. and, and Aguero. Um, there may be something else to be said about the fact that David Silva obviously left last season. There might be a bit more of a an onus on the likes of Gundogan to get forward and chip in with more goals and assists and that sort of thing. But no, I don't think he was seen as a goal-scoring midfielder quite as much as he is recently. Um, and yeah, like he was... At Dortmund as well, it took him some time to get to the the speed of things in Klopp's methods, um, and you know he's been at, at Man City a while now as well, so he might have changed his game a little bit. And he's he's just certainly I remember there being something on Monday Night Football where he's he's certainly getting higher quality chances simply by the fact that he's just ghosting into the box and getting into those high quality areas. I mean, the goals he scored against Liverpool were getting into the just ghosting in and getting into those sort of six yard box areas, a bit like a a poacher of a striker. Yeah. So the game at the weekend where he uh, where he got that header for uh, City versus Everton, where he, he just was the, the furthest player forward. He's just getting into these high quality areas and clearly profiting from it. So he's almost smelling um, the fact that there might be a chance or the keeper might might spill it and he can get on the end of it. So, you know, he's not. it's not by chance. It's certainly by design. He's taking 2.6 shots per 90, which is the fifth most of, of any midfielder since the turn of nice. the year. So he's not exactly getting super lucky. He's, he's actually looking to, to get shots away in the box. So, uh, yeah, he, will it last? I don't know. That remains to be seen. But he's certainly uh, certainly on form at the moment. We can currently categorise him as, stats-wise, on fire. Perhaps, yeah. You, you might say it. It's, it's very... Uh, true to this episode I mean I don't want to speak too much about like all the Man City players but you've got to give a shout out to Phil Foden as well I think he's been yeah. brilliant recently and the the touch that he had or the, every time I see him that the touch for the uh for the goal in the Champions League where he just took it on his on his left foot but the way that he just then you see it, he's always on the half turn and he's mm. always collecting it on his on his back foot. the one that he sort of back heeled almost do you mean that one well, there was no. Well, there was one where he collected it in the middle, and he did the same. There was a, the same sort of touch where he does it so well uh, in the game against Everton, where he gets it played into him, and the defender almost goes to close him down, but he opens his body up so well and collects it on his mm. on his left foot, but on his back foot, and he's already on the half turn. He's already looking to get it out of his feet before he's even touched it, and that split second, that touch just buys him a yard, and he's already mm. gone. And that was the thing that that first touch that he did uh, in the game against Munchen Gladbach, 
was what bought him that yard to drive through the middle and then play it into Gundogan yeah. to, to finish. And he's he's just brilliant. I mean, I haven't looked too much into his stats in that regard, but he's he's right up there, especially for someone for his age. And I guess a starter for England, do you think? In the come the Euros, but perhaps yeah, perhaps yeah, definitely. I think we could do a whole episode on first touches. By the way, there's a, there's an absolute art form to the first touch, isn't there? Did you see the weekend? Uh, they obviously drew the game, and he was furious. But Erling Haaland's first touch against FC Cole, it was a it was an art form. It was a thing of beauty. If you haven't seen it, it was he he sort of it was a long ball pumped forward, and he sort of took it mid air, and, and as he brought it down, the defender was right on his back. And he sort of just sort of slid past them without any feet on the ground and opened his body up and scored. It, it, it was a genius and and just such a simple thing as the first touch really created this amazing goal. But anyway, for another time, first touches. True. We will do that Another in episode in that, I think. Definitely, yeah. Because it can just get you away from your man. Um, but yeah, Phil Foden's first touch is just out of this world. And yeah, here man Gundogan um, for Man City. I mean, all the Man City players at the moment, the run that they're on is, is unbelievable. So... Any of them get a shout out for their stats being on fire, but certainly, yeah, Ilkay Gundogan for for his goal scoring feats of, of recent. Nice, weeks. nice. You mentioned a second ago about does uh, does Phil Foden start in my England team? I guess the next person I'd like to ask you about is another potential England starter after the uh, after the announcement. But some would argue currently the best left back in the Premier League performing at the moment. I'd interested to hear what the stats say now in your opinion uh Luke Shaw is a is a someone who's had a great season so far hasn't he yeah absolutely Luke Shaw has been doing well this season and, and certainly well in recent weeks it still boggles my mind that he's is he six foot one that man is six foot one and he does not look six foot one no I've never um, known someone look so much smaller than they are I don't know if it's just something about being a fullback that you don't normally think of them as as quite tall but um, his stats are good in that regard, actually. Good for maybe that's not just <laughs> good height yeah, stats. Maybe that's not just since January, to be fair, unless he's had a growth spurt. <laughs> bless him. Um, but yeah, no, he's he is he's doing he's doing really well at the moment. Um, actually, got a goal recently as well, didn't he, against Man City? Yeah, yeah. Which isn't what he's known for, but that's always a you know a help. Um, yeah, I mean, going forward, you you know the the bread and butter of what you'd expect from a fullback going forward is getting crosses into the box um, or just getting crosses into the middle. And, and Shaw's completed the most crosses of any fullback since January. He's completed 2.1 per 90. So he is offering Excellent. offering a lot in attack. And that's just obviously a flavour, but we've spoken before about expected assists, haven't we? So for those who aren't aware, I'm sure many are, but expected assists being the likelihood that a given pass will result uh, in an assist uh, for a goal. So a bit of a better proxy for uh, a player's creativity as to whether they actually um, are creating chances worthy of a, an assist rather than just a two-yard pass um, yep. and he's got um, the best expected assists of any fullback in the league since January wow. so 0.34 expected assists per 90 which if you think about it that way is that he's creating chances worthy of an assist once every three games um, which is great stuff. decent return so uh, yeah so that's in terms of yeah expected assists he also has 2.6 shots assisted per 90 so not actually looking in terms of the um the actual likelihood that it will become a goal, but just how many times is he the final player to play the pass before a player takes a shot? Um, and on a per 90 basis, 2.6, um, which, which is the most of any fullback, again, in the league and comfortably better than any fullback in the league. So second on that list is uh, Aaron Cresswell at West Ham and he's 1.5 nice. shots assisted per 90. So he's got um, comfortably one more than any other fullback on a per 90 basis yeah, yeah. So, you know roll that out over a number of games and you're talking someone who is 
likely to to be that player to play to play the last pass before a before another player takes a shot. So definitely up there in terms of uh, attacking numbers. And I throw it back to you, Ryan. Do you think he would be in for a shout as the the left back for the Euros ahead of, I guess ahead of Ben Chilwell probably is his biggest rival. Yeah. Would you say? Interesting. It, it, Cresswell isn't even in the conversation, is he, for England? I, I I thought of Cresswell, especially after I just said it then. And he, he is a, he's a good player. He, he He's flexible as well in terms of he's played in the back three on the left side of a back three as well. So he could be quite a flexible player to have. I mean, Kieran Trippier played on the, the left in recent England call-ups as well. So he might be a good utility player. He, almost certainly likely to, to be in the squad come the Euros. He's, he's in the current squad. Um but of course, having a left-sided, left-footed yeah. left back is obviously the preference. So I think it's a toss-up between him and Chilwell. I don't know whether it's just going to go down to who's in best form come the end of the season. Yeah, I don't know. I I think he'd be my first choice. But I get, I was wondering what kind of system Gareth is going to going to be playing. I mean, by the looks of his squad selection and in sort of recent international breaks, we've obviously got an international. Uh, break coming up which will which will maybe tell us more but if he plays a five at the back or a back three with mm. uh, two wing backs would you then put Shaw on the left wing back position or or the inside left center back because actually Shaw has played that role a couple of times himself hasn't he and defensively I mean you, you know you've just said his attacking metrics are on fire which is it's so interesting that the yeah. fullbacks we're, we're judging him on his attacking metrics yeah. but actually defensively as well he's one of the only people I've seen this season have Mohamed Salah completely tucked away in his pocket and, and yeah. he's actually quite good, a good defender as well isn't he so you know w- would you have both him and Chilwell playing I, I don't know like is there's I guess it's good to have options isn't it or good to have that kind of discussion true true and it's something I want to come on to in a bit in terms of the players playing their club football and how mm. much you'd sort of have that in your mind when you're choosing them for their national team um, I can't let it go that you did just call it just call him Gareth and not Gareth Southgate as though you know him I just I have to me, pick you me up and on Gareth. me and Gareth me and Gaz just the way that you just said yeah I, Gareth <laughs> as though he's one of our mates I couldn't let that slide and I wait until would you like me to address him as Mr Southgate in future just, just full name him but I just I you carried your full <laughs> sentence on and I thought I'm not going to interject but I can't let that go so I just I think I've called him Gareth ever since 2018 World Cup when he ingratiated himself into my heart as a as a close friend because of what he did for us so um if we have a really bad tournament maybe he'll go back to Gareth oh, you're relegated. it's kind of like a table you know what I mean right of, of, of how in favor so he is but if they now, win the Euros it's Gaz but if they have a shocker <laughs> it's Mr Southgate if we win the Euros there's there's an old Gaza who goes out the window there'll be a new Gaza Ooh, in the form of uh, Gareth Southgate that's... I absolutely, I, I absolutely didn't mean that. Everyone, please, please don't turn off the podcast. Keep listening. We've got more coming up. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've deviated there. I just couldn't, I could not pull you up on that. But no, I think it's interesting in terms of if England do play a back three, which it looks as though they probably will continue to do. Is I was going to say, Reese James being on the right and Chilwell being on the left, as they are for Chelsea. Okay, not every mm. week, but as they can play for Chelsea and have played recently. Is it? Is there an understanding there on either side of the? the flank to know who goes and who stays sort of thing. And it might actually be yeah. preferable based on your club football to have that at an international level where it's quite seamless. Whereas I probably, my thought of it is that Shaw would get the edge. I think he would be the first choice for me because he mm. has a lot. And not that Chilwell doesn't, but he has 
I think, a lot going forward and in defence as well. So that balance overall would give him the edge for me. But then if, if he was to play in a back three where he's more of a wing back, he's less familiar in that role. So it, again, it's a trade-off of system versus who's the best player. And it comes back to something we've said in, in earlier weeks of choosing your 11 best or your best 11. Yes. You know? So it's an ongoing conversation. There's something I want to ask you about that in a bit. Um, but for now, we shall, we shall move on. So we've covered Luke Shaw. We've covered Ilkay Gundogan. Both two players who are doing really well for their, for their clubs at the moment. Who else could we discuss in terms of stats on fire? Well, since you appeared on another podcast talking about goalkeepers, Mark, I think we should. Uh, it's only right that we talk about a goalkeeper. Um, and the goalkeeper that stands out for me especially in my fantasy football numbers, uh, is Martinez. He's, I think he's top of the list for goalkeepers in terms of FPL points. I may be wrong. Is he? For FPL points, is he? Yeah, fair play. I mean, in terms of clean sheets, which on the Zona Marking podcast we did acknowledge is not the, the best way to, to show a, a goalkeeper's sort of capability and performance, but you can't really hide away from the fact, considering it was Aston Villa who were in the relegation battle this time last season, 14 clean sheets for Martinez, which is the joint second most clean sheets in in the Premier League alongside Edouard Mendy at Chelsea and only Edison has more and obviously City are just running away with it so it's no mean feat to actually have that even just as a defensive display for Aston Villa as a whole um, they're doing so well at the moment um, yeah and I think it is partly to do with the fact that they've got a, a settled back four and a settled goalkeeper in Martinez who has really seriously improved the team because I mean last year they had uh, Heaton, I think he had injuries, didn't he? So he came out. They, they filled in sometimes with uh, Nyland, I think, for a few yeah. games. And then Pepe Reina came in to, for the back end of the season and, and obviously just about scraped it of, of staying up. But there was just obviously not that settled goalkeeper at the back, which might have played into the fact that you know they were also kind of defensively weak and have got a hell of a lot stronger since then. But this season, Martinez has played every game for in yes. the league. So that, that just helps to know that you've got that keeper um, who's gonna gonna protect you and gonna win you potentially win you some games just by the the saves that he makes and protect those uh, those leads. So he's definitely. I'm I'm thinking about this actually. This is the only one of the the people that we're speaking about who I'm not going to speak about since January. I think for goalkeepers you do want just for everyone you want a bigger sample size. But his numbers across the whole course of this season I think are deserving of looking at it more broadly. Um, and he's he, yeah. I don't think there's there's been a better keeper in the league this season, certainly from, from where they've come, do you think? Yeah, definitely from the eye test. I'm interested in what you said, um, just for the listeners who might not have heard uh, your Zona Marking podcast. Why, so why are clean sheets not something that we are to necessarily take as gospel for goalkeepers? Because obviously that's the first thing that most football fans will think of in terms of how to, to judge a goalkeeper, won't they? But I guess it's not as simple as just saying, you know, they have the most clean sheets and that makes them a good goalkeeper. What? Why is that? Yeah, I think it, it's quite widely used in the media, isn't it? And of just throwing that to say that it's certainly at a team level that um, that clean sheets is really useful as a as a proxy of just how well they're defended. I mean, the, the mm. example that I used in the episode was that you could, in theory, have a goalkeeper who's faced no shots in a game and has got a clean yes. sheet. So it doesn't show just how well that goalkeeper personally has performed because the defence might have just stopped any shot from from coming in. So yeah. um, it's simply that really, that it just doesn't, similar to save percentage as well, you don't know whether the shots that they've faced are 
from 40 yards and straight at them or from six yards and rifled into the bottom corner. These sort of- or I guess I could have faced three shots and saved two of them. You could have sh- saved 100 shots and but you faced 300 of them and, and my numbers would be better than yours. It just, it, I guess the that kind of sample size doesn't tell the whole story either. Exactly, yeah. So the, those sort of typical ways of looking at it, clean sheets and save percentage, um, can be quite flawed in terms of looking at a goalkeeper performance. So yeah, okay. um, that's kind of why you sort of want to caveat the, the clean sheets thing. I mean, as I say, we spoke about it in the, in the other episode, but a, a good proxy of showing goalkeeper performance in terms of shot stopping is their... Um, post-shot expected goals the difference between that and the actual goals that they've let in so we covered it i think we've covered it in previous episodes very broadly um, and briefly i'll do the same here but you know we've spoken about expected goals before of the likelihood that a given shot will result in a goal Um, Mm -hmm. and that's that model is taken and used before a shot is taken so right before they take the shot looking at all of the, the factors, what's the angle, what's the distance from goal, therefore what's the probability of that shot resulting in a, in a goal. Post-shot expected goals looks at the actual, well, I mean, the clues in the title, right? Once the shot is taken, what is then the probability of the shot going in? So if it's right, played okay. right down the keeper's throat versus um, rifled into the top corner, there's going to be see. more likelihood of it, the shot going in than... Um, for it being in top corner than if it was just straight at them so then we can look at the quality of the shots that the keepers faced and then say said okay well based on the quality of shots a bit more information rather than just the number of shots how many goals have they prevented so what's that difference between what they should have conceded and what they have actually conceded and the bigger the difference the the as, as a proxy of how well their shot stopping is the the more goals that they have prevented in in theory if that makes sense great stuff so it makes total sense and the the good thing for villa fans is that according to um stats bomb via fb ref here um the this difference of how many goals um all the keepers have prevented martinez comes out on top so he's um according to this model saved and prevented 7.4 goals so he is from a shot stopping perspective um performed performed the best out of any goalkeeper in the league fantastic great news for villa fans as you say your goalkeeper we can safely say is on fire okay so we've spoken about three players already let's do a couple more and then yes and we will leave it there do you know what as well i can't believe that we've gone this long into the episode without me saying that the stats that i have used are of course ryan from 23 i don't know if i've told you but we are in association <laughs> with 23 and these are all the numbers that i've uh, that i've used for this with y scout data of course um but how have i gone this long without mentioning that i don't know it's normally one of the first things we say so um yeah it's, it's a bit weird really but you've done it now so it's fine you've redeemed yourself it tends to come up a lot but uh but yeah we're using the uh, the football lab and the analyze tool to uh, to be able to look into all these numbers and see whether everyone's stats are indeed on fire now this is someone I want to speak about next. And it's, I kind of, rather than being driven by the stats, I wanted to speak about this as just someone who's just come into the team and has just been performing so well. Uh, and that's Emil Smith-Rowe, who I just yes. really enjoy watching. I feel like he's a bit of a throwback of just someone who, a bit like you sort of Jack Grealish is, as someone who just, when he's on the ball or when he's making these runs, you just think, okay, he's something's going to happen. Um, so I haven't done it as much driven by the data. We can to pepper in some stats but I just think he's just such a really exciting young talent um, 
and someone that I just wanted to speak about, to be honest. Well, if you don't want to pepper in too many stats, Mark, let me take one from Arsenal themselves <laughs> uh, a, a week back. Um, this is quite niche, which I really enjoyed. They said, Emil is the youngest player to create four chances in a Premier League North London derby since Cesc Fabregas created six in April 2007. Now, if that's not quite specific, I don't know what is. Let me just that's, let that's me take out the key points of that. that youngest player to create four chances in a Premier League North London derby. So we're just talking about North London derbies. And the last person to do more than that was Cesc Fabregas in 2007 when he created six. So uh, good stats and bad stats, different conversation, but that's quite niche from Arsenal themselves. So even if you've got no numbers, they've got their own, which uh, which you can refer to. Yeah, I mean, I don't wish to discredit Arsenal's social media accounts and their use of statistics, but it does kind of come back to what we've spoken about before of stats for stats sake and having yes. that quote unquote, so what element to it where that just feels like I'm just I'm just meeting that with a shrug. Like I that means yeah. nothing to me, and I can't use that information very usefully. Anyone can throw stats in the mixer, but uh, how useful they are is another story. But yeah, yeah. As I say, I haven't got too many. Certainly none better than that in terms of things to offer. <laughs> um, you know, per se. I mean, I have had a look through Smith Rowe's stats, and there's nothing that really particularly pops out, especially since January. But that doesn't obviously necessarily mean that he's not a great player. I mean the. For me as well, the things which can't be measured by event data, which we've spoken about before, which is on the ball data, is the amount of runs that he makes and offers, you know, a bit of dynamism, especially since the turn of the year with with Martin Odegaard coming into the team as well, that Mm -hmm. the two of them have just created far more of a threat going forward and linking that midfield with the attack. So there's plenty of things probably that are maybe unquantifiable in the data um, of just how much of an impact he's had. Um, But... Nevertheless, his um, expected assists, so you know, as an attacking midfielder, probably think of him as um, someone who should be creating a lot. His expected assists um, using the 23 model is 0.21 expected assists per 90. So again, okay. just putting it in the, the realms of football language, that the, the quality of the passes that he's making should result in an assist once every five games, um, given, the, yeah, given the quality of passes he is making. So... Not too bad. That's 25th of all uh, midfielders in the league since January. So it's not overly high, but he is certainly, especially, I guess, his contribution within the realms of Arsenal and the team has been, I guess, a lot more than maybe the broader context of of the league. I think, would you agree with that? I definitely agree with that. He's a very exciting uh, young player, isn't he? uh, Didn't make the England squad, obviously, at this occasion, but do you think one for the future? We've got a bit of an England theme going on Mm -hmm. uh, in this episode. Do you think he's one that we'll be looking out for in years to come? Certainly for years to come, yeah. It might be a little bit too soon at the moment. Um, yeah. I think there's just such a gluttony of of attacking midfielders, isn't there? And, mm. and you, you know, obviously you can play wider, you can play centrally as well. But, you know, people like Harvey Barnes, James Madison, Jack Grealish, Emil Smith-Rowe, Bukayo Saka on the other side, um, Phil Foden, of course, who can play across the anywhere across the forward line in terms of that attacking midfielder position it's it's going to be hard for him if he is going to yeah to break into it because all of those players that I spoke about are so young as well so um if he does he'll he'll have done really well but he just as I say he's just an exciting player to to watch and a bit of a throwback absolutely well let's round off then with uh, a final player who uh, who has broken into the England squad for the first time see what we did there <laughs> uh 
let's talk about Ollie Watkins, who has been a bit of a revelation, hasn't he, this season in the Premier League? He's been uh, he's been fantastic. I'm going to put a caveat in there straight away. I named Ollie Watkins in my fantasy football team as of week two this season, and he's been a he's been a stalwart ever since. Been racking up the points. He's been fantastic. Yeah, I mean, he is a great player and it, I probably shot myself in the foot a little bit of saying someone's stats are on fire since January because yeah. I wouldn't say that his stats are on a different level since January, but across the course of the season, which is where how you should be looking at it really. I, as I, say, mm. I shot myself in the foot, but um, he scored four goals since January, so it's it's really not a bad return, um, especially because Vidra is struggling at the moment with in recent weeks with Grealish out of the team with his injury. Um, but yeah, again, across the course of the season, I think Watkins has been a revelation, really, really strong um, at the top end of the field. And on the balance of it, I'd say deserving of a of a call-up to the England squad. I think he definitely yeah. does offer a lot. I think, again, things that maybe you can't show in the in the typical stats, there are stats to show it, but his his work off the ball. He, he's a willing runner. He's, he's certainly one who presses from the front and, and contributes so much to to what Villa do. So uh, I think he would be good at international level to to really bring a bit of energy. Um, but yeah, you know, four goals since January, not a bad return. Um, that's a return of 0.29 goals per 90. So a goal every three games, which is decent. I mean, it's, it's since January, it's the 17th best for strikers in the league. But, you know, all in all, I think he, he is certainly uh, deserving of, of a shout out, especially given the recent news um, of his England call-up I mean in terms of that England call-up again I want to get your thoughts on it so like you know Grealish isn't going to be in this England squad because he's injured of course but he's looking likely to to certainly be in the squad if not the team come the Euros now do you yeah would you pick players based on how they how they operate together within their club football so Watkins and Grealish do operate really well together for Aston Villa do you think there's something to be said about choosing maybe Watkins over Bamford for the reason that he would have a bit more understanding with Grealish at an international level? And I, you know, I would sort of broaden that question, you know, further where I'm thinking about the likes of Esri Konza and Tyrone Mings for Villa as well. Yeah, it seems like we've spoken quite a lot about Villa. To be fair, yeah, it's a very Villa Villa centric episode. Yeah, but the principle is, I guess, it's because there's so many English players that we're speaking about. But the principle kind of remains. Like, how much do you think that it might? How much would you maybe take a hit on in terms of? the star quality of the player, but knowing that they have that understanding with with their teammates at club football and bringing that onto, onto an international stage. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point. The, the difficulty is, isn't it, if you, if you sort of start basing it around those relationships, it's the players who then get sort of omitted, isn't it, to make room for that. And in, in terms of, would you base something around playing Grealish and Watkins, but at the expense of losing Rashford, Kane or Sterling? Mm. You probably you kind of that'd be a very difficult call to make, wouldn't it? But with a grounding for, with good reason. So I don't know is the answer. It's a, it's a good question because also if you just stick names in there who are very good but don't have that relationship and then don't gel together as much, then the results could also not be not be great, can they? So yeah, I, I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah, I suppose you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. I guess the mm. the extra broader question of, of the likes of Konza and Mings, I think maybe is potentially more important in terms of a central defensive partnership more so than yeah. attacking one. I think sometimes, obviously, because by definition they are, you know, attacking and being creative, then they can have a an instant understanding. Whereas I feel like with the with a back four and a goalkeeper, you want to have as much of a settled side as possible where you've got yeah, a defensive partnership who can work quite well. So maybe it's more towards 
that question being more towards the defensive side, more so than the attacking side. Yeah. But I don't know. I just think it's an interesting one. Like, would there be other examples of that where where that would be the case? I mean, the Gerard Lampard couldn't get them to work together, sort of thing. Well, exactly. Two quality players, but but not necessarily um, complementing of each other's skill set. So it just I don't know. It just always makes me think. And I know that we have had an England centric episode. Yeah. To be honest. Well, I tell you what, mate. I'll call Gareth and I'll uh, I'll see what he's saying. I'll uh, I'll get his opinion, see what he thinks about the uh, the, the the teammate vibe, and uh, and I'll get Gaz to send over his feedback, and then we'll we'll just go from there, right. shall we? Gazzy South in your in your phone book is Gazzy it? Southy. Gazzy South. <laughs> All right, Gazzy. Yo, what's happened? What's happened to us? <laughs> yeah, this is this is deteriorating. Let's uh, let's wrap it up there quickly. <laughs> Stats on fire. A bit of a fun one this week, I think. Yeah. I hope people will uh, will agree with that. I've really enjoyed it, Ryan. I hope you have too. Um, just five different players for you there in the Premier League. Um, let us know who you guys think um, is stats are on fire, especially since January or across the season. We could talk about Premier yeah. League. We could talk about Europe. Please do just send in um, who you think is, is in a purple patch or just doing really well this whole season. Um, and to do that, of course, you know where to find us. We are on Twitter. We are on Instagram at FanalyticsPod. As you well know, of course, you can drop us an email on fanalytics.pod at gmail.com and we are really seriously enjoying reading some of the some of the emails and comments and, and messages that people have been sending in so please continue to do so um i really enjoyed that as i say ryan thank you for your time ryan thank you for listening everybody thank you. enjoy the rest of your week and we will see you next time Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.